0: Those squeaky rocking
1: chairs, the well worn welcome mat, the lattice vines, the
0: happy times. All I want to do
1: when the day is through.
2: Welcome to episode 11 of Sharing the Magic, a show dedicated to all things Disney. Join us today as we explore the magical world. Whether you're a diehard fan or a casual visitor, this podcast is for anyone who can use a little extra pixie dust. I'm your host, your ghost host, Barry. And boy, do we have a show for you today. Whether you're a fan of It's the Small World Ride, or the Enchanted Tiki Room, or if you're a fan of the original Mary Poppins, you are in for a great treat. But before we dive into today's adventure, let's say hello to our fellow Disney ticks. First up is the goofy doof himself, Jeff. Jeff, how are you doing?
3: I'm doing all right. How are, how are all you all doing? All y'all doing? I'm I'm very southern this morning, apparently.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we're all we're all y'all y'all fine.
3: Okay, it's called a you know they have in a in, in grammar you have you know the the perfect and the. The, that you call all y'all the super perfect it's all y'all i don't know if you knew that but uh,
0: omnipotent.
3: yeah it's something like that Anyway, i digress
2: and,
4: <laughs> and barry i think we have to I, I know sometimes jeff doesn't like us to call him out but our guest might not really know why he's called the goofy dude oh you're gonna make me so jeff it. <laughs> could you could you show our guest why you're the goofy dude oh
2: man yes. so
3: it's like a level of wars oh my name's goofy i do i do a goofy impression i will do a few of them i do don i'm working on a donald
0: ask ask me about when i, I met ducky nash later and uh, yeah i will
3: okay that'll be my question
0: or i'm glad you're here yeah. that's pretty good that's pretty <laughs> have you done that professionally
3: uh semi-professionally i just yeah i'm, I'm an amateur so if people want a pseudo uh goofy voice that's that's i'm out there i'm out there doing stuff
4: <laughs> he did receive me. he did receive a you know a nice compliment when we had bill farmer on the episode as well yeah, so yeah we I'm did goofy cool.
3: voices together it was fun it was fun
2: <laughs> all right next up she's pra- practically perfect in every way annie annie how's it going i'm
1: doing great barry i'm so excited for today's episode Kind of fits perfectly with my name,
2: given our guest. Um, So I'm very excited. All right. And last but not least, he's everyone's favorite Disney dad. Matt, Matt, how you doing?
4: I'm doing great, Barry. I'm really excited for the episode today.
2: Yeah, it's going to be a good one. It's really, really excited about this one. All right. Our guest today is the son of one and a half of the greatest songwriting team in the history of all of Disney. He is also an accomplished playwright an editor and also a speaker. His last name is synonymous with greatness and he is carving his own path and keeping to his roots. We are happy and grateful to have Robbie Sherman joining us today. Hello, Robbie. How's it going? It is going great. We're so excited to have you here. So Robbie, let's jump right into it. Why don't you tell us how it all began? How how you became who you You. are.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How it all began? Well, in the beginning... There was no. Um, <laughs> so, so it's a funny thing. So I was probably born uh, in the absolute midst of the Sherman Brothers' greatest uh, moments, the, su- the great success, and and uh, and my earliest memory, honestly, was that I, like my dad and uncle and their father before them, Al Sherman, I wanted to be a songwriter because it felt very much, you know, you know what I actually equated to is a non-Sherman Brothers film, although there is one allusion to the Sherman brothers uh, in, in it is the Lion King. When, you know, the, the little uh, cub Simba says, uh, you know, I, I just can't wait to be King. You you just sort of, he only saw the good stuff. Right. And I saw the good stuff because it it was like being at the top and having the, my, my dad and my uncle at the top of their career, really, it was night. I was born in 1968 and literally my earliest memory was that I wanted to be a songwriter like my dad and uncle. And you mentioned playwright, which I am, you mentioned editor and all, all of those things. I am, but really, honestly, my, my true passion, my true love is songwriting, both music and lyrics. My dad was more known for the lyrics and my uncle more for the music, but, um, but that's, uh, but so you asked, you gave me the very large topic of uh, in the beginning I have to say that that's, that's my beginning. And and my exposure, there was, they were absolutely at the top of their career, not just from a point of view of Disney, but from a point of view of, of really all of Hollywood. They were the last film, original film songwriters for musicals. Uh, They would, they couldn't have guessed that 10 years later that the film musical live action film musical was going to go the way of the dinosaur. And, um, and and sort of unceremoniously be dropped from you know viable genres. Um, that said, in hindsight we can see it because all the other big studios, uh, MGM being one of the big ones, um, you know, really Disney Walt was the last one to do original live action musicals, and uh, and the Sherman Brothers are the great benefactor beneficiaries of of uh, of that phenomenon.
2: So so we know all the you know we know who who it is but how 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 was it, how was it living Live, living knowing that you know who I have to tell
0: you, people you know I I sometimes give this uh tour I I haven't done it since before covid I think last year we did it was 2019 uh was is a is a walking tour of the sherman brothers the closest thing they had to sort of a hometown was beverly hills and i grew up in beverly hills california as well um and and we and I would do this uh, with the Disney Anna fan club, which I assume you're all familiar with. Uh, they're the longest uh, fan club of of Disney um, items and, and memorabilia and that kind of thing that uh, around. And they, they start I think they started in 1984 or something like that. So it's going on 40 years, and uh, and uh, and in cooperation and coordination with them, I should say, uh, I did this uh, walking tour and uh, uh, and also trolley tour of Beverly Hills. And I would show not just the Sherman Brothers origins there. And it's very interesting because you, you kind of get a sense of, of history as well because uh, you know, the first home that, that, that my family ever owned was in, on uh, my father's side anyways, was in Beverly Hills. And my father wrote this amazing poem called My Father's Dream Upon a Hill. He was 13 years old. And my grandfather had had the the poem made into a plaque, and the we still have the plaque. But right. It's not still on the house. And I point out that this was on on there, and and how and how that must have been a very odd thing, you know. You know, you're walking home and you see a plaque that with with the poem <laughs> that you've created written on. You know, you bring your friends home and you see this plaque on the on the side. But what I explained to the people on the tour is that. That this was the first home that they ever owned, probably in thousands of years, because because they were immigrant. My grandfather and 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 all of my ancestors, actually, even on my mother's side, were all immigrants from uh the former former Russian Empire and uh Ukraine specifically, which is obviously in the news these days, and uh, actually on both sides. And it was uh and you know, the, the czar was uh, you know you could own a piece, you could own a piece of mud somewhere, but then if you wanted to have a pogrom and that happened, you know, the Cossacks came in and, uh, good luck. So the idea of it made, I think my family, very much, uh, stalwart Americans, um, and, and very proud of being American. And, um, and that's very important as it plays in my father's life, because, you know, he, he volunteered, to join the, U uh, S army a year early than, than he, than he should have really, he was 17 years old when he joined the U S army to, to fight Hitler and, and the Nazis. Wow. And, um, there was a, a very strong patriotism in our family in, in, in that regard, um, which very much was part of my dad's personality, his whole life. Um, and, you know, he hated any type of despotism and, and, um, and was very much, um, a world federalist, which is a very archaic term, arcane term at this point, but uh, the great songwriter, Oscar Hammerstein uh, II, who wrote things like South Pacific, and and it was probably much like my dad in, in many ways in that he really came and approached to, his approach to poetry and songwriting, lyric writing, was that of the, the poet as opposed to other the way other songwriters come to it and other lyricists come to it. Yeah um how how was my childhood growing up from uh from you know the early, the early 1970s I have to say and this is a thing I always like that question because it was living living with uh, my dad was like living with a real poet in the very best sense of the term he was generous he was very much art-based uh and 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 very poetic in the way that he lived his life and I I give this example when I do the the walking tour. There's a certain section of Beverly Hills which is, are these these um, this Bank of Rose Gardens, and both my father and mother uh, grew roses. It was actually sort of a joint hobby of theirs, and, uh, and and other flowers as well, but roses in particular. And I remember when I was a boy, my father did a lot of DIY, a lot more than you'd think of Beverly Hills uh resident would do uh, in fact much more than any resident would do except for my father he was he was very into his diy and um uh, and would paint fences and would 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 build once built a, a waterfall from scratch you know, he he did a lot of diy and uh, we were going out to get some paint on a sunday morning i think it was and he said or a weekend morning i don't know whether it was sunday or saturday and we're driving along, and he sees and I'm down Santa Monica Boulevard, and, he, and we're about to turn down Beverly Boulevard. And he says, "Those roses, they look like they smell. I bet they smell beautiful." I was maybe nine years old, ten years old, and he and I said to him, "I said, I don't know. I've never smelled a rose." And he turned the car and did a U-turn. The big gold Cadillac. It was a 1973 Eldorado Cadillac, and and he and he did this U-turn on this street. It must have been a Sunday because it was pretty empty streets, yeah. and. Um, he turned around, made it like a J on, on the street, parked his car and says, what do you mean you've never smelled a rose? And he parked the car, we walked out to the rose garden and, uh, and he said, he said, here, smell this. And then he, we went to another rose and smelled this. He smelled it, then I smelled it. He says, and then he looked at me and he said, Robbie, in life, you must always take time to smell the roses and good. that's what it's I good. mean when I say it. that's he lived a poet's life yeah he yeah. understood this is this is a poet's way of thinking and yeah. the idea that he would take time to smell the roses and when I do the tour the walking tour which I hope to do at some point again in the future I, you know I live in London England now so it's I have to come back to
1: a little bit uh,
0: of a trek <laughs> exactly yeah it's a little bit of a walk and uh, anyways and so uh when, when we do the thing I I, I point out I say, you know, this is this isn't just a small folly. Now, take my father and uncle's most famous musical, Mary Poppins, uh, for which they've gotten the most accolades and won the Oscars and the Grammys and what have you, and of course is is renowned throughout not just from Disney fans but throughout the world. Yeah. And uh, if you think about what the theme of that story is, take time to smell the roses is really what it's about. It's telling the father. Mr. Banks, take time, excuse me, to smell to to enjoy your family. Don't you know you can raise money and you know, do your banking and all of that stuff. Materialism is one thing, but the that's idea, of <laughs> is, yeah, and that's that's actually the theme of that story is is taking time to smell the roses yeah. and and it's finding the magic and the mundane if is another way of putting it. Yeah. so, you know, so you have this lovely day. But it's super califragilistic, It's magic in the mundane. Um, uh, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Same thing. All of the songs in one way or another resonate to this theme, which is one of the things that um, when I was learning song, the craft of songwriting, my father also talked about this. He said, he said, "You know, a song is about one thing. People sometimes write a song. Oh, well, it's about several things. And, well, my dad would have would have uh, said no. It needs to be about one thing, and he, he did that with me many times. And that's that's how I that's how I know that that, that was his thing. So th- the idea is, is that in a musical, the songs themselves, and not just the songs, but everything in a story. And it, by the way, it's not just with a musical. You could take The Godfather or Chinatown. Everything resonates around the theme of the story. Once you once the writer discovers what that theme is, it's it's a uh, you know, and, and uh, settles on it, discovers it within himself. Why is he writing this story? Then, then he knows what that story is about. Then stick to it. Everything in the movie Titanic. It's great example, by the way, if you remember the movie Titanic, because everything is about the idea that, that when you release your hold on the physical, then, then the metaphysical becomes alive and mat- the magic the metaphysical if you will becomes right. alive it's true about the ship it's true about the diamond when 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 rose throws the diamond into the into the ocean then suddenly she's allowed to be liberated and to be with her love again her it was through death but bless right. it was her final release yeah. of of the uh, very pertinent today with this uh horrible uh, tragedy with the titan ship yeah. anyways i i could go on but that's that gives you a kind of a a sense of the of the world that, so very much the the professional philosophy that I have today has to do with um, with the lessons I learned from my father yeah. uh, as a boy.
3: Yeah, I really that's really fascinating to me. I'd love I would love to continue on that because you know I'm I'm thinking the uh, the difference between
0: you well, know how long have you got?
3: <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah, as, much, as long as you have. But uh, there's there's no time me at least but you know thinking through
0: thinking about i the difference. lecture between... on this i i did a I did a lecture at a at a college uh for actors in, in yeah. near luck Lod- in a place called Guildford, at a gsa Guildford school of uh i want to say Guildford school of acting but i can't uh-huh. be wrong about the name i should know i'm very good friends with the uh with the head of the school and um uh, and i and and, and uh, i I when I looked down at my watch at the very end, I had been with them for four hours. I have no idea. <laughs> and nobody left. And nobody left. No, very- no. Yeah. I'm fascinated
3: as someone who, you know, I'm an amateur voice actor, but I I take my craft seriously. And as somebody who would love to professionally do it at some point, you know, do you have any gosh? I guess you probably have lots to say to is there is there something that that in in terms of keeping that maybe that childlike wonder alive, you know, finding that magic is, do you have any really good advice for people like me who are out there that might be, you know, maybe we're, we're, uh, you know, maybe it's just one of those weeks where we
0: can't find the magic, you know, I'll tell you, can I tell you something? I couldn't agree more that the idea of keeping that childlike wonder, I don't have them with me right now, but Uh I guess I'm traveling, but if I were, if I were at my desk at home in London, I would have sitting next to me, not more than two feet away from me, is my little puppet Balthazar, who has become a character in my show Lovebirds. And <laughs> and when I write, I have the puppet right next yeah. to me. And he and I ask him, you know, what would you say? And he and he has written the dialogue for me. So I mean the idea of being connected to that childhood wonder. And I'll tell you, you know, traumatic things happen in a person's life. And and you you're and the world will tell you to grow up. And I actually think that that's not good for what we do,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Jeff. I think uh I, I think agree. we have to be, and I've seen it with other writers, with other people, and they there is a, a kid who I mentor and and uh and he's had a rough time of it, and he's and I he's you know 26 or so now. And he said, you know, I'm I'm trying to be more grown up. And we used to have fun. And when he was a little kid, you know, I used to have fun and, you know, with the puppet and yeah, other things. Yeah. And uh, and he said, and and he said, Well, you know, I'm trying to be more grown up now. And I, I felt so bad about that because to me, it's about keeping that child yeah. childlike wonder and, and that fantasy and, and all of yeah. that. I think that's important actually. Yeah.
3: Ron, I may have a little bit of a similar process myself. Oh, there you go.
0: <laughs> uh, if only Balthazar was here right now, too. <laughs> We'd have a good time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. For those listening, Jeff just picked up his goofy puppet. So. Yeah, I got them all. <laughs> <laughs> he
3: yeah.
1: does from time to time. We'll be talking about something and all of a sudden, way the poo pops up and he's like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, the puppets are great. I love puppets.
1: Yeah, no, puppets are awesome. Um, So my question is, what was it like growing up with your dad and your uncle being who they are and being so prevalent in a lot of children's stories and children's lives? Hmm. Like, um, were you bragging at school? Like, oh, my dad and my Hmm. uncle wrote that. Were you like, oh, I don't care what they do. (laughs) You know, like what was the vibe there?
0: It's a funny thing. Um, I don't think I was kind of I was a little bit more quirky. Uh, I was never into sports. I was born without the gene. I don't understand. I wish, I wish I had it. It, made, it, always, um, it always made me a bit sad because there's nothing like sports because, you know, everybody gets together and they go, yeah, I know. But, um, but I was sort of recognized as being a musician and, and, uh, being very much a, a musical soul. And, and, and I guess that, that helped, but it's a funny thing. Beverly Hills has a lot of people who are very, there's a lot of bullies in Beverly Hills, mm. interestingly, because uh, I'm talking about when I was growing up in school, much more so than I think in other schools. Um, oh. I, I wouldn't be surprised if some in some really bad neighborhoods, it was like a similar ratio, because if you think about it, you have these captains of industry and people who are heads of businesses and very wealthy and and all this. And, um, and then my dad, who was this artsy kind of guy who probably would have been in a loft you know, painting or or writing poetry or something. Had he not found Walt Disney and had not worked with my uncle, you know, who is all who's similar, but they they were just different enough to complement each other brilliantly, um, and really brilliantly. I don't think either of them would have had success. And I and I would say this if my dad were in the room or my uncle were in the room. I have no problem saying this. I don't think either of them would have met the kind even a modicum of the kind of success that they reached without each other. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the things I always think is, is interesting, like, well, you know, well, who was, who is the real talent? Who was the, no, they were, they were intertwined and it was that intertwining that made them work together. But with regard to my upbringing, it seemed Mm -hmm. like there was a lot of bullying and there was a lot of things in in the, you know, my school system. And uh, it wasn't until I was in high school that I kind of felt, my uh, my own people because i was in the marching band and i was Mm -hmm. in the madrigal singers and uh and and i found music and 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 there were things where i could shine but i actually i don't know it was a little bit um i had a good time in elementary school as well don't get me wrong but but um i don't know i didn't didn't quite gel with with that Mm -hmm. type of person i and i felt very much at odds with that growing up um in that environment, not not at home, at home, I was, yeah, it was great, fine. but, uh, but it was, uh, but I did feel a bit out of place in, in elementary school. And I think that had to do with the, um, with that particular um, mindset. And then when I went to high school, I realized, oh, wait a second, not everybody is going to pick a fight with you on the play field. You know, bullies tend to raise children who they bully, who end up being bullies themselves, you know, you know, the yeah, cycle like, lot goes of on. <laughs> Yeah, cycle of that so yeah does that answer your question uh yeah, Annie? I'll go oh, with it. <laughs> by the way I noticed your little orange bird there
1: yes I have my orange bird I have yeah, my to from the
0: new ride that's amazing that that orange bird thing uh as as uh I love the songs from orange bird mm-hmm. but you know I have one of the things I do uh because I manage half of the Sherman family estate you know the, the mm-hmm. Bob Sherman side of it yeah. and uh and uh we do this sherman brothers facebook page which uh if I'm anybody on it. <laughs> oh, are, you, are you fantastic yeah. fantastic uh it i think it's the best thing on facebook personally because it's educational it's uh thank you uh no it's, it's, it's a complete coincidence because uh i didn't plan it to be the best thing on facebook i just thought it would be a really good um a really interesting place to reach out to sherman brothers fans i actually I'm sort of jumping around. I hope you don't mind. Uh no, go for it. Jumping around here. I uh, just sort of We love free. jumping around. <laughs> we we it talk. For the we be- talk. and so it,
1: really does.
0: it just does. Okay. <laughs> um so the um no it's very funny because I was actually uh figuring out what I'm going to do for the next couple months, you know, and and uh when when I started it, it was literally 15 years ago now and we've had a song of the day pretty much for about 20 uh uh, 20 years. You can't have 20 out of 15. No, uh it was since 2012, I think we've had a song of the day yeah. every day since uh, like sometime around then and um, maybe 2011. And, uh, um, and the thing about it is that the Sherman Brothers fans are, are there, there's uh, an amazing number of Sherman, probably more than any other songwriters, including the Beatles, uh, for the simple reason that, you know, everybody knows their films uh whether it's mary poppins or jungle book or winnie the pooh i mean these are billions and billions of dollars that are coming in every year on each of these franchises uh certainly with winnie the pooh um i think in a few years ago it was two i think it was i don't remember the exact year but it was uh five billion dollars came in not just from the films but from the plush toys and the stickers and the and mm-hmm. the baby on board and it's a picture of kanga you know with holding yeah. Roo or something. Um, and you think of an insurance company and every cubicle has somebody who's, uh, I feel like Eeyore today or whatever. And it's amazing what this franchise has created. So people know the Sherman brothers work. Um, I would say at least a third of the globe knows it. Now you show me another Broadway songwriter uh, or set of songwriters who has that kind of reach, that kind of, uh, that kind of, even, even the more modern Disney people um, may have, that reach for a couple of years or something approaching it like the frozen songwriters or, 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 uh, uh, one, another wonderful movie, Coco, you know, um, I mean, fantastic, fantastic work, but the Sherman brothers year after year, I mean, people still love, the jungle book and and jungle book and Winnie and Mary Poppins were both in their respective years, 1967 for jungle book and 1964 for um, Mary Poppins were the biggest grossing films of that year. But then with all the video sales and all in in the the eighties and nineties and then, and then DVD and streaming and all of that that came later, people know these projects. So, so there's um, so, but the problem is it's, how do you reach them all? Do you send them a newsletter? Do you send them a, and then comes this invention called Facebook. And, and it's, and it's the perfect medium actually, to be honest with you, because you could post a song of the day. You can, and there's an educational aspect of it. I'm I'm a big believer that edu, you know, with, with regard right now in the, in the world of Disney, I'm a big believer that history, especially for the period of time that my father and uncle were around is is now going through a very interesting phase, which uh, historians will uh, and and um, you know recorders of history specifically will talk about in many different phases, and that's the the period of time where there's where a lot of the people have died and you know gone on and and and, and now it's the last one standing who are right who are who are which I guess technically in in a weird way I'm sort of the next just after that because I'm not I. Wasn't there for uh the yeah, 19th century other than as a baby. But but um and the problem is is that you get people rewriting history. And I'm not gonna name names on this podcast, but there are people who are very irresponsible uh about this, and and it's it's a point of uh of concern because if if you're a belief a believer in what in the 1990s there used to be i don't know if you're aware of this but i'm curious if you are there used to be a publication that came out i don't know every couple months called persistence of vision are you familiar with this no i'm not Mm -mm. persistence of vision is is a term that's used in 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 uh film in the idea that that if you're showing 24 frames per second that that your brain creates has a there's a psychophysiological phenomenon mm-hmm. where where there's a you get the per, the perception the idea that 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 it's a moving picture when actually it's still pictures one after the next right. and so persistence of vision is kind of a, a play on words on that concept okay. on that filmic concept yeah and um and the idea of how does and it was a disney disney fan similar to people like not unlike yourselves who love disney and are very passionate about disney maybe aren't employed by the company but but are but are seeking to to find the magic in it yeah. if that makes sense absolutely yep. And i think that's a fair uh correct me if i'm wrong maybe no, you are fair a, yeah no that's that's correct right. that's maybe right.
1: you're yeah, all, so you all here to the spy channel. on me i don't know
0: i, I, I don't know <laughs> no, <that's it. laughs> yeah Bob I he here to spy on me and to ask the a, a <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. I knew I knew it was, yeah, it's like the haunted mansion with the eyes and the ball <laughs> um, and and so I uh, and the idea of pre- and so this is a publication that came out, and it was and the mission of it was to describe the it, it was to to find what it was that made the magic work in this sense, I think it's very important. And one of the missions I particularly uh, um, adhere to is the idea of, you know, Walt Disney was, beside being the greatest storyteller of the millennia, of the millennium, you know, even more than Shakespeare, being able to reach so many people with so, so much uh, great legend. And, and uh, I don't know if there's a, there's a, a great writer named Joseph Campbell, and I don't want to get that's a whole other story. I love but, Joseph Campbell. Don't okay. say that name. Oh no. No, no, Joseph Campbell is Joseph <laughs> no, Campbell's man. Book, yeah. I mean, you know, he, he was, was he, he and you know, the idea remember. of monomyth and and the idea of a you know, hero with a thousand faces and yeah. all But if you think about and he would talk about the the who are the what are the religions of the future? What is the religion of now? And it's it's the writers, it's the storytellers, it's the people who and it always was. Yeah. And taking those legends and telling them now, so I have nothing but awe for Walt Disney and what he was able to create. One of the great things that Walt Disney did, and I don't, th- I think this is deeply underappreciated with regard to my father and uncle, was he saw in my father and uncle in 1960, in June of 1960, when he met them, when he met the two brothers. And I don't know if you're familiar with the story, but I'll, I'll share it with you. Uh, in 1960. They had written a song that had become a top five um, hit for Annette Funicello, who was, of course, one of the Mouseketeers. Mm-hmm. And Walt needed a song for a very small little picture that only made it to to TV in in the states. It was in theaters in the in uh, in the UK and in Europe, but uh, didn't. And that was the Horse Masters. The Sherman Brothers came in. They wrote a couple songs, um, including the Strumman song. Walt liked the Strumman song. Said this is great. But when when he brought them in, I don't know if you know the story. Um, but Walt said, uh, "I'm sure a lot of your audience doesn't know, so I'll share it with you now."
3: Yeah, and I uh, don't. So I, yeah, I want to hear. Oh, it. great. Okay. <laughs> no.
0: So so no, it's a great story. So so Walt brought them in, and he, they came in with with uh, with Jimmy Johnston, who was the head of the music department, and 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 uh, Walt started in right away because busy man, and he had a lot of things on his mind, and he said, "So the two these two twins." They they mm-hmm. they're born on different. They're they're born and then the parents separate, divorce, and then they're on, the kids are on separate side of the country. They don't know that they even exist that the other one exists, and they meet at summer camp. And Walt goes on for about half an hour. Now my father and uncle are are amazed. Walt Disney when they first came to California in 1937, as they entered because they drove across. There were you know people didn't fly back then. I mean mm-hmm. so much, and certainly not my dad and uncle and their parents. And they're driving in a car, and they see the ads for Snow White as they're driving through, uh, entering Cal- Welcome to California, uh, and then you see a Snow White poster at some point, uh, you know, billboard at some point. So Walt Disney was as much of a legend as you as you might be today, to them. And they're sitting in front of the man himself and his big desk, and he's telling the story. And Walt hated being called Mister Disney, but and they they were told this. And my dad piped up finally after about. I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, whatever it was. And he and he says, uh, Mr. Disney, Walt stop smiling, stop you know, <laughs> being interrupted. And he said, and he said, uh, we came in here for the horse masters. Uh, we were told that we should write, we wrote a song for you. And and so I said, and you let me go on and on, and just I'm like a fool. And was, and so then my dad, my <laughs> uncle, who was always the showman, he sat down at the piano and uh my and my uncle played the song, the strumming song and played it on the piano, and Walt said, in a very matter-of-fact way, that'll work, and that, <laughs> and that was, and, 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 and and he said, uh, do you want to hear the other, because, you know, we have other songs, too, because they really wanted the gig, it was a, a big opportunity for the most song in a Disney picture, even if it was just for TV, it was a yeah. massive deal, so they, they worked on three songs, uh, for them fast, slow, and medium. I think strumming song was probably the medium song, but I'm not, I'm pretty sure it was, uh, I'm sure the Sherman brothers uh, have a quote on that somewhere, but, um, anyways, it was, so let's say it was the medium song. Pretty sure it was. And it was, uh, and that was the thing he said, well, since I wasted your time on this twins thing, see if you can write a title song. And they wrote, um, they, the, the, uh, I think it was For Now, For Always, which became one of the songs that they, and the, a week or two later, they came back, met with Walt again. They liked this. Meanwhile, Walt was working on, um, had been working for 15, 16 years to get the rights for a, 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 a novel um, mm-hmm. by a woman named Pamela Travers, P.L. Travers, and he'd been struggling to get the rights to this thing. Nobody could get the rights to this. Rogers and Hammerstein tried to get the rights to this. The other songwriter who famously tried to get the rights was, uh, was uh, Stephen Sondheim couldn't get the rights to this thing. And, and the last person that, you know, cause she saw herself as a very serious person um, that, that he was going to give the rights to was, was Walt Disney anyways. And so my dad and uncle were there. And this is the genius of Walt Disney. He took these two rock and roll songwriters. There have been a couple of assignments at this point. There was They tried the the For Now, For Always said, I like the song, but For Now, For Always, it's not the title of my picture. And eventually, and then uh, one of the other, I think it was Let's Get Together was the Mm -hmm. next. One of those was the, it was either Let's Get Together or For Now, For Always was the first and the other was the second. And then the third one was, Walt said, "The parent trap," and and uh, my dad explained to him. He said, "You know, Walt, we, we wrote you a song here, but you got to understand, you have two T's in a row. The parent trap, and it they'll they'll allied, they'll come together in in a way that will make it hard to sing. And so, if you listen to the song, there's I don't know how musical you guys are, but there's an eighth note rest in between mm-hmm. the two. Basically, I don't know if it's actually in the music or not, but but it, the song goes the parent." trap <laughs> <And> that's <not laughs> specifically because otherwise it becomes the parent rap yeah right that's right yeah and uh anyways and and so uh so that was so that was uh, and and shortly after one of these meetings early meetings in june july he said he said uh boys i want you to look at this one uh this 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 book and he went to his shelf and he had several copies of the book uh, and he pulled out Mary Poppins, gave it to my dad and uncle. My dad took it home. He read it the next night. My mother read it, and famously or infamously, my mother said, uh, "He she after she read it, she said it's a nice book, but you know it'll never make a movie." Um, <laughs> and uh, but you know, there's a good reason for this. There's a very good reason for it. My dad talks about it in his own novel, uh, in his own uh, autobiography, uh, Moose Chapters from My Life, which I edited, and uh, which is how I know the story so well uh and, and and the thing was uh, he said he said you know my mother my mother had a point and that was because it was episodic meaning every chapter was its own little story and what the sherman brothers did is they discussed it dick also read the book and and they discussed it, and they worked on it and they came up with a tr- what they call a screenplay treatment and they were just the songwriters right but they came up with a screenplay treatment and some sketches or some songs and uh, and the um the the treatment basically the, one of the one of the great things my father and uncle did with with that film was they added the um the idea of of bert being a, um a master uh, uh, or what do they call a jack of all trades mm-hmm. and the idea that he was that he was a, a chimney sweep he was a screever in the book all of these different characters who helped out in different ways and, and were sort of Mary Poppins, you know, friends along the way, all these male figures uh, became one figure. And that's why, and that helped to wind the story together. The other thing the Sherman brothers added was the idea of the protagonist being Mr. Banks. Um, and by protagonist, I'm using a modern context of the word protagonist, which is the idea of the character who arcs. The character who changes, who grows in the process. Mr. Banks in the books was, uh, was literally appears on page one and then disappears. That's why they need a nanny, why they need a nanny in in the whole, uh, in the whole sequence of stories. Um, My dad said, no, we need to have this, this be the, the, you know, this father be the character, which by the way, should be an interesting point to some of your listeners, because the premise of the movie Saving Mr. Banks is that that this was a major character in the books. And yeah. you don't have to believe me, just look at the books. He's not a major character in the right, books. Right. That was the Sherman Brothers, Walt Disney contribution to the stories yeah. to make it into a cohesive movie. So my mom didn't, my, mom, my mother wasn't wrong. It was a nice series of episodes, but like some TV shows that, you know, it's like you have the same characters, give or take, But there's different adventures that were going on. And the Sherman Brothers did this one more time where they actually got a screenplay credit because Poppins they don't. Um probably should have, but they they don't. And um was Tom Sawyer in 1973, which wasn't a Disney film, also a very episodic series of events. And the Sherman Brothers brought that together. So it's one of one of the things people don't realize the Sherman Brothers actually wrote a number of screenplays, but also contributed to them tremendously. Yeah. Wow.
1: That's
0: awesome. I can ramble on forever. No, that's great. <laughs> I'll just keep on going. We'll, we'll all fall asleep, including me. And I'll just No, I'm not falling asleep. asleep. This, is great. No, this is great. Mary
1: Poppins is my favorite subject. So I'm yeah. totally fine
0: with this talking Mary all day. <laughs> yeah, Matt Mary. <Matt laughs> oh, oh, there's all kinds of there's all kinds of stuff. You have to read my if you haven't read it already, you must read my father's book. There's about, mm-hmm. I don't know, I think it's about 60 pages on Mary Poppins. And I have to tell you you know, one of my jobs and it's a, it's one of the unspoken jobs usually in, in editing a book is especially with somebody who's older at that point, my dad was already yeah. in his eighties when, when we were publishing it is um, was, you know, fact-checking and, yeah. and, you know, you're always, you know, sometimes you think, oh, you know, that's, that's a great story, but it can't be true. I have to tell you something. My dad, if anything, he was modest about the things I, I'm talking about, World War II stories, stories about his father, and 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 some of the amazing interactions that my grandfather had uh, in the songwriting world and other things, and you know things I thought, ah, you know that's kind of, that's got to be a wives tale. I I really worked hard to do as much uh, fact checking and so much integrity with my father. It's that's the that's the lesson I was left from that experience, editing the book. It's called Moose chapters from my life robert b sherman um and uh, i highly for disney fans who really want to know the real story and by the way he doesn't talk about it most of it isn't even about his disney years it's things about the war things about his childhood but there's enough stuff about disney there are a few stories that are very telling and uh and he really is an honest broker yeah and um and which you don't always find. Like mm-hmm. I was telling you about oral history mm-hmm. uh, and, and the and the last men standing. I think he may be the last one. I mean, who really who really knew and yeah. really tells it straight.
3: Well, I'm excited for that book. I just got it on my Kindle, so I'll have to <laughs> I'll have to read it. It's gonna, this is great. Thank cool. you. So
2: mm-hmm. so Robbie, let me let me ask you, um, you know, there was a CD that came out, um, a, few years ago uh the sherman brothers soundbook um oh, from and, 19, uh,
0: 2009 the one yeah. with the where they have red ties on yeah, yeah. so
2: my, my question is um how uh how well did did your um your father and your uncle um work with um annafuna channel because i know you mentioned her but yeah. i know like the first two songs down there are uh tall paul sure. and um pineapple princess and yeah, so uh, yeah. how, how how was it how was it working with her you know and her popularity when she was with um the musketeers and
0: that well so so one of the things and, and you'll they write about annette and their their experiences with annette um so i can recount a few stories there um first of all they always both brothers refer to annette as their lucky star and that you'll see that in the book, uh, in most chapters from my life, and that's because without her, they would never have been introduced to Walt Disney. And what I didn't finish, and and I'll come back to your to your question uh, in a moment because I realized I just didn't finish my story. My father and uncle they discussed the book Mary Poppins, and I will come back. Don't don't worry, I I haven't forgotten. I just realized I'd forgotten the earlier story, and if I do forget. <laughs> just come back at me and say you know yeah you know, we'll remind you no worries you <laughs> lied Robbie. You. tell us the story so uh so with mary poppins um so so they read the book for mary poppins and uh i can't believe i didn't finish the story because it gets better uh so with mary poppins they read the book they came back to walt disney and said look we we looked at this and there's about six chapters that actually make um make sense to be uh to be to be a story to be the 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 bones of of the story mary poppins and i said which six chapters walt said and he said well these and my dad took out the book and they'd circled or check marked six chapters it's a well-known story this is so maybe some people know this um and walt took a moment And he went back to his bookshelf where he had several copies, including his own personal copy, pulled it out and opened the, his personal copy in the index. And he, and he had had circled or X the same exact six chapters. And there wasn't a lot said except for this. And then Walt said, you boys like to work, don't you? (laughs) And And he said, how would you like to work here for me? Wow. And that was the first time and only time, the only time Walt had a lot of uh, staff composers, you know, without lyrics, without, um, but Walt, that was the only time Walt ever hired staff songwriters on, and and, and uh, this is the genius of Walt. And uh, this is what I was getting to earlier. Um, the genius of Walt, well, there were many geniuses of Walt. I shouldn't say the only one because there are many. The genius of Walt, the thing I think people need to understand, he knew how to, he knew, he knew how to spot talent because mm-hmm. the Sherman brothers were writing pineapple princess and, and, um, uh, Herbie the merman and these novelty fifties songs that were cute, didn't make millions of sales. They, they did okay in their time, but, you know, uh, tall Paul was one of the big ones. You're 16. The, the song that eventually was recorded by Ringo originally Johnny Burnett. So, you know, these were, these were, they did well. They actually made a good career. But Walt Disney saw in these rock and roll songwriters the potential to make Mary Poppins. And we're not talking about five years into their working. We're talking within the first three months. That was one of the first, one of the early assignments they got was Mary Poppins. And this was something he was fighting for for 16 years. So, as part of that persistence of vision to understand, Walt, you know, he took chances, but it wasn't they weren't foolish chances they were they were chances based on a on a deep ingrained wisdom that this man had and in fairness it's not just walt disney it's also what he must have seen and i think it was a lot my dad because my dad was very much an intellectual and and so i think he saw that there was somebody who could give voice to his voice and and it's very much true. I mean, if you think about certain songs like "It's a Small World" or "Feed the Birds" or or some of the more philosophical uh, numbers that the Sherman Brothers wrote over the years, um, these were songs that, in in a family friendly way, were edgy, and mm-hmm. and were were uh, even the even something early like "The Parent Trap." You know, this is about a a family of divorce. Mm-hmm. This is you know yeah. the idea of the breakdown of the nuclear family in 1961. I shudder to think what Disney would have been like without the Sherman brothers. I really do. Oh, yeah. Because the 1960, even the Jungle Book, um, you know, has amazing songs and all. But anyways, I digress sort of because I, I was finishing up from the previous thing and I'd forgotten to actually finish my story. But now we're talking about Annette. And uh, so uh, Annette was a young girl, I think 14, 15 years old. Um, whenever she would go to a recording session, she would go apparently with her priest, her Catholic priest, um, there, you know, she was a devout Italian, American Catholic, uh, girl and, and, you know, a good girl. And she, and she would go there and, and my, my dad at one time, you know, her voice would sometimes get a little bit cracky. My dad, apparently behind the sound screen where nobody could see would give her a little bit of a liquor to, to smooth her voice. This is totally politically <laughs> incorrect by great. today's standards, you know, <laughs> Not great girl alcohol, but, but no, but she would, she would, uh, he would do that priest and mother next door i mean in the right. in the uh, control room you know so it wasn't like but uh and and of course there was there was a wonderful thing that uh uh Tootie camarada the great music producer of those days um at disney um did because he produced pretty much everything of annette's i think I, I could be wrong about that i'm not an expert on this subject but um uh but certainly a lot of it if not all of it uh and And they realized between my dad, uncle, and uh, and Tootie, that Annette's voice was a bit thin on these recordings, but she sang it perfectly every single time. And as a result, what that meant was that they that she could do this thing she could record her voice a second time, and it sounded much more full. Now, if you know anything about recording history, musical recording history, this is called doubling but nobody had ever done this before really. <laughs> and, and this was invented that was called the Annette sound. And then, um, and then uh, trying to remember the female singer who took the Connie Francis, I think borrowed the Annette sound. Uh, this is well-known. This is not a, this is, this, this is again, I had to do fact-checking on these things. So this is why, this is why I feel confident on this point. And then people like John Lennon did this where they would double the voice and, and it's, you hear it all the time these days. Um, and it's where you put one voice up at about 60% volume and then another voice at about 40. And it just fills in the, the, the mistakes, the little errors, the one place that this isn't done. And I always have this argument with, uh, with engineers, because I work a lot in musical theater, is on musical theater recordings because mm-hmm. musical theater is supposed to sound like it's not processed. It's not re- been not been smoothed out. And so they'll have one singer sing the line. Uh, but uh, but it doesn't it's not as smooth. it's not as it's not as warm. Right. and but that all started with uh, Annette Funicello right. and um and the Annette sound. so so there's a lot of innovation um that you know those early years and and you know Tudy camarada was no i mean he was he he was uh he had uh was was his group was his uh studio sunset sound sunset sound sorry Mm syllabus um and uh and he was so that was his studio and then and then there was of course gold star there were there were these legendary absolutely legendary recording studios um back then and we're like like two out of 10 number one hits were recorded at these places in hollywood um and uh yeah so yeah. that's so i don't know if that answers your question barry but um
1: oh, yeah.
0: we just like the good stories <laughs> well awesome. speaking,
2: answers
1: our
4: question. <laughs> speaking of good stories
0: anything to shut me up he said well you talked no. Long <laughs>
1: no it was
4: great well we want you to talk, talk a little bit more robbie okay. because before the podcast we were you know catching up and talking about a couple different things and i personally want to hear the story of your contribution to one little spark the the song
0: the song wouldn't have existed without me no 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 (laughs) we we gotta hear the story robbie (laughs) i was 13 years old and my dad and uncle were doing the demos from uh my dad and uncle were doing the demos for epcot center so Epcot opened in in October of 1982. Uh, probably the demos started working. Uh, they started doing demos. So I would have been 12 because 1980, 1981, and uh, and I had a lot of little musical instruments and electric piano, a little Rhodes electric piano, which is probably worth a fortune today, but I sold it. <laughs> uh sadly when I moved to London that would have
3: been worth a lot <laughs> yeah it's probably
0: I mean it's probably worth like a small fortune these days yeah. but um uh, mm-hmm. anyway so this um uh, but the electric piano and on my electric piano I had um, a number of little sort of gadget uh gimmick kind of in, uh right. instruments including a slide whistle now a slide whistle if, if you don't know it, it mm-hmm. basically you blow into it it's a, like a toy and it goes
1: Ooh.
0: and if you know the song one little spark one little spark whoop, count, uh, uh, lights up for you, imagination, right? Mm-hmm. One little spark whoop, lights up for you. Uh, it, does that make does that ring a yeah. bell? Yeah, yeah, okay. right. So, so my dad came in and said, "We're doing a recording. Can can you give me? I I need your slide whistle. I'll give it back to you in a couple of days." And uh, and so he he took the slide whistle, and the next day, um. And then about a week later, he would come home when they'd mixed the song, and they had they had a thing to show. And we would always listen to the uh, to the demos and to the and to the final recordings when they would have them, or if a new record was coming out, he would he would uh, he had this record closet. He was an audiophile, my dad. He had amazing sound equipment, um, you know, for playback, a stereo, a record player, and he had this record collection not just of his own stuff, but it, his dad's stuff. And, and also, uh, uh, but also a lot of jazz thing, a lot. He loved ragtime. He loved, uh, jelly roll Morton. He loved classical music as a child. He played violin, my dad. And so, and wasn't ever great. Um, I'm not speaking out of school here. He was, uh, he, he would have been the first to admit it. There's a great story about my dad learning the violin. I'll tell you, uh, in a minute, if you like, um, and, uh, uh, and so there was, but he had very big fingers, much bigger than mine. And, and they were, they were uh, it, it, a little bit too big for playing violin really well. You need to have narrow, strong fingers and he had strong fingers, but they were, they weren't narrow. He was a bigger man than I am. He was over, he was about six foot one as, as was his brother in, in his youth. And, um. Uh, and uh that's one of the things, by the way, saving Mr. Banks kind of got wrong. They had these narrow frames, sort of small guys. They weren't oh, yeah. small guys, they yeah. were big guys. Yeah. Uh, my dad and uncle. Um and look at the old videos and you'll see uh it's yeah. they weren't they weren't they weren't uh little. Um and uh, uh anyways, and so that's uh I, I'm, I'm where did I, where, where did I leave off? You are done uh,
4: with the the slide whistle and he came back and started listening yes. to the demos of One Little Spark. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, but I, and, and my dad, that's when my dad started bringing me to a lot of the recording sessions. I'd say I was at a third to half of the recording sessions that he was involved with wow. on, uh, on, at Epcot because after the first, uh, recording session where I had to learn a very hard lesson, uh, I was very easy I, I was very quiet and, and that's, you know, everybody loves a kid if they're quiet and sitting in the corner, but uh, everybody was coming up with different ideas. Like, Oh, why don't we put a slide whistle in? that? Wasn't one of the ideas. And so little Robbie raises his hand and said, or not, I didn't raise my hand. Well, why don't you do? And my dad turned around in his swivel chair, looked at me and he said, Robbie, yours is to sit and listen and learn. And I was mortified. I was embarrassed by this, but I learned my lesson and, uh, you know, not, not to make a bunch of comments. And uh, that, that unless they were asked for, which nobody's going to ask a twelve-year-old, certainly not in those <laughs> days. And uh, and that was, and I'll tell you why that's why that's a funny story. Um, so in 2015, we were recording the original cast album for uh, for uh, a spoonful of Sherman, my show that about my family, 100 years of Sherman songwriting. My grandfather's writing, of course, yeah. and dad and uncle, and a couple of my songs, but yeah. mostly it was my dad and uncle's stuff. And and a little bit and and a good a good portion of my grandfather's too, which, which are wonderful songs. Yeah. I highly recommend uh, if you go to the Sherman Brothers Facebook page. Every Thursday we have Thursdays with Al Al Sherman, mm-hmm. my okay. grandfather, and and we and I feature a song. And he wrote for everybody: uh, Big Crosby, Maurice mm-hmm. Chevalier, uh, uh, Ella Fitzgerald. I mean, he was he got around with this. You know, he was amazing. Um, I highly recommend to listeners. Uh, please sign up on the Sherman Brothers Facebook page. Uh, that's literally what it is: Sherman Brothers Facebook page. It's a group, not a, an individual or anything like that. So, it's, um, and, uh, and and so in 2015, going back to that story, 2015, we're doing my we're doing this album, and the producer of the album, it was a was a, a wonderful fellow named Nick Lloyd Webber. And you may know the last two names, Lloyd Webber, because mm-hmm. Andrew—he was Andrew Lloyd Webber's oldest oldest boy. He had uh, as an older sister as well. Sadly, he passed away a few months ago. Uh, he's only forty-three years old. Nick was, and uh, anyways, you can imagine we had interesting war stories to share because mm-hmm. to be the son of this, to be a songwriter, because he was also a songwriter and wrote for theatrical pieces and what have you, and he was a producer for music. And uh, we, you know, he, he could appreciate being the son of this legend, you know, it's a, you know, it's, right. it's wonderful, but it's also a heavy burden in some ways, in some regards. And uh, anyways, and so I told Nick the story about, about yours is to sit, listen and learn. <laughs> and, and he, he thought that was the greatest thing ever. So um, anyway, so that's, uh, it's, it's definitely, there's a universal appeal, at least if you're in, in my kooky shoes. so Robbie growing up I gotta ask
4: growing up did you have a favorite song of your dad and uncle and then you know now having all this experience in the industry and being a successful songwriter yourself has that song changed uh to be a new favorite
0: um okay so that's that's an interesting question I I would be remiss if I did not tell you my father's uh, patent answer to the to this question: What is his favorite song? And it very much applies. He says, you know, he says, um, you know, it's like choosing children, and uh, and and the the answer is, you know, how do you, how do you choose a favorite? That said, my dad did have one or two favorites. Uh, his two favorites, uh, depending on the year and the, you know, when he was was one song from uh, Snoopy Come Home called It It Changes which is an, a remarkable song it it's in it, odd key changes and and it's it's like no song you've heard and mm-hmm. and it's a very powerful uh number and then the other song was a song from a disney film from 1963 called uh called summer magic and that was uh the song um on the front porch which as a songwriter i can tell you is is a brilliantly structured and and beautiful simple song but you know simple is what's difficult right, right. and um uh, yeah. writing simple and uh and so that was something and i actually at my father's funeral at the at the you know the reception you know before they buried the body what would you call that um the, you know the, 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 the wake the viewing yeah the wake. Yeah. well yeah the view yeah when you give the when everybody yeah. has the ceremony whatever you call yeah. that yeah. um i sang that uh, at um and uh, I remember my nephew, Alex, asked me, how did you get through that thing? Yeah, literally. And I said, well, I practice. And every time I would tear up, which was uh, I would I would stop and I would start the song all over again. And I get through. But it was uh, because I played it on guitar. There were many times when when uh, my dad and I would sing that together, you know, and uh, I would, sometimes I played on ukulele or I'd play it on guitar or mm-hmm. keyboards. And 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 my dad and I would sing the song together. He loved that song of the Sher- of his favorite songs of his own stuff. And it's not like he obsessed about his own stuff. He actually liked to listen to other people's stuff even more right. than his own. Right. Um, but but uh, that was something that we always came back to. For me personally, my favorite song is another one from Snoopy Come Home. And it's an obscure song. And I have no good reason why it's a song that that just has, it. it's a wonderful sort of happy memory. It's at the beginning of the movie. It's called At the Beach. And it's and again, it's a it's just, it's like a song you've never heard before. Uh, it's really unique, and uh, uh, and it just has a very early memory to me. And uh, probably "Snoopy Come Home" is the earliest film that I remember in real time hmm. coming out, and and the record, and when my dad would bring home the record, and and it's just, it, it's worth a listen. Um, uh, at the beach, at your reach, at the beach is a larky sparkly wonderland, all the noise and the joys, is a music made by a wonder band, it's just, it's, uh, but it's, it's magical, And, and there's a, there's a great music producer who was the producer of the whole album, and the soundtrack, his name was Don Rolke, and it was one of my fulfilled dreams, in 1998, I got to meet Don Rolke, little man very small man he must have been five three i mean he wasn't wasn't he he was very so much smaller than i thought he'd be i also met alexander courage al courage at this thing it was the hollywood irregulars it was like this fraternity of of the old music guys from the 1950s who like produced everything at those two recording studios i was telling you about other than yeah. camarada and uh and uh and uh gold and uh dick gold and uh Stan Ross of of gold star. And, uh, anyways. And so, uh, so I got to meet Don Rocky, who it was a a person of legend to me. Uh, and, uh, Don Rocky, I'll tell you what Don Rocky produced amongst many, many other things. Uh, if you know the golden throats songs, uh, the things by Leonard Nimoy singing "If I Only Had a Hammer" and William Shatner singing "Lucy in the Sky" <laughs> and things like that weird, wacko stuff. He yeah. produced all that stuff, oh, but cool. uh, so he's just sort of this quirky Hollywood legend. But he also did the orchestrations from the from Snoopy Come Home, and one of the great karmas my father and uncle always had. Well, not always, but many, many times um, they had absolutely brilliant and cutting edge musical arrangers and producers on, on their films, Mary Poppins, they had Irwin Kostel, and that which wasn't an accident. They asked for Irwin Costell, but, but Irwin Costell really, he, he was a legend on Broadway. I mean, he's like a tier above everybody of his generation, which was a great generation of, of Broadway, uh, you know, orchestrators and arrangers and supervisors. Um, but then he had john williams johnny williams when he was still the first film at the first original film score that he did after he won the oscar for um fiddler on the roof in 1972 i think he won the oscar uh he began work that month on tom sawyer and if you listen to the score of tom sawyer and again this is this gets really in the weeds of the technical side of it but that's when he found Then John Williams of Star Wars fame and yeah. a million other films found his musical voice. And wow. and I'd have to like sit with you and do like a podcast just on John Williams yeah. and others and what he did for Tom Sawyer. Um, the way he recorded violins, the way he got intimate sounds uh, to sound big, um, which is which is a trick that he did. Nobody was doing this stuff before. I mean, in some ways there's, there's, there's bad to it as well. And that everybody wanted to sound like John Williams, (laughs) Star Wars. So Mm -hmm. the, so the bands, the, the, you know, the instruments that you would use, it's got to be generic, but that doesn't take anything away from John Williams personal brilliance. It's just, it's just the lack of, the lack of imagination of other people who want to sound like John Williams, but uh, Angela Morley, um, uh, who did the slipper and the rose for my dad and uncle? Uh, uh, I mentioned Costel. I know I'm skipping a few other people. Disney people uh, was Walter Sheets. I think did did uh, did. It's a small world. I could be wrong about that though. He might have just done like a vocal arrangement. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But I mean, think of It's a Small World. The arrangement on that it doesn't sound like anything else. It's completely unique. And show me songs today that sound completely unique, like they're like that's the only instrumentation that's ever been done for a song oh, I, think, I
3: it's funny you bring that up because i i had that exact that that exact thought not too long ago because you know i'm i'm kind of going back and re-watching a lot of old disney classics and it seemed like kind of going back to your your point way way in the beginning where a song being about one thing you know maybe that's that's lyrically but it seems to me as if You know, simplicity is hard to capture, but even all these songs that, you know, it's a small world, it has a hook to it. There's something that is, there's a clarity to it. There's, there's something where when you hear it again, you're like, oh, that's small world. I know exactly what that is, but I just, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't have the musical chops to, to speak to it, but it just seems as if that sort of, for me, the best way I can think about it is clarity of what is this song musically what is it doing? It seems like that's not quite as.
0: Well, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of original originality in these songs. I think you're talking about a lot of very interesting and and relevant things here. Um, The originality, you know, my father would be asked often and my uncle, um, you know, who, what comes first? And in fact, every songwriting team gets asked this question, what comes first, the music or the lyrics? even individual songwriters, because I tend to write solo, mm. uh, get asked this question. and my dad would say again, one of his patent answers. and my dad always said this because he didn't like to repeat himself. so you, you'll see you'll see uh, my uncle will go to ten when they were both alive, of course. Uh, my uncle will go to ten re- retrospectives for Mary Poppins to my dad's one mm. because he, when he would tell a story, and this is true at home as well he would say something once and then not repeat himself. I mean, th- that was, he felt <laughs> if you weren't listening, that's you'll learn, you know, that was his, uh, uh, you know,
1: um, I like that. That's very Jersey. of <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, it was, uh, yeah, but it's, it's unusual because most people in Hollywood are trained by circumstance just to be, uh, to be repetitive because you gotta, you gotta push until somebody gives, you know, and He didn't feel that way. He didn't feel the need. Um, uh, but with regard to the, to the, this patent answer that he would give to what comes first music or lyrics, he would say there was the third part as well. Mm. And that's the idea of the song. And so he and my uncle equally would sit down in chairs. Uh, and one of the things I would do on the walking with giants tour in Beverly Hills, the walking and, uh, trolley tour i gave that i was talking about earlier is i would bring them by the sherman brothers office we couldn't go in usually um in fact ever there um and but i would bring them to the outside and show them the wing so that they could see it from the outside um and i then would show a, a diagram of their office and my dad had his own private office very actually beautifully decorated my uncle had his office which was actually very differently decorated and then in the middle was the piano room, and in the piano room, where the grand piano, which was their dad's piano um, that was in their parents' home when they were growing up, was a were two uh, armchairs that reclined, and they would sit, and sometimes for hours they would talk and they would talk about different ideas. And then if if necessary, my uncle would pop up to the piano because he was the musician of the two. You know, they're both musicians and they could both come up with words. My dad, I always say my dad was 270 percent lyrics and uh, 130 percent music. And my uncle was vice versa. You know, there was because they did quite a bit of each, uh, much more than a lot of songwriters did. And my uncle would pop up as the more of the musician would pop up to the piano. And he would say oh what about this he said, oh that's good and then then they might start cracking into the song a little bit and coming up with the title so but the title was even after the idea so the idea of um, of the song is what is the first thing that's original and then musically it had to feel original it had to feel fresh if it didn't if it didn't pass that you know then they would try something else and uh, and then and then again, the great karma that they had because they were less in control of this part of it was the music arrangement. But they would have they would have a voice in it. They'd say, well, you know, we think this should like have a lot of woodwinds, you know flutes violin of, of flutes, clarinet, saxophone, whatever. whatever they would suggest, and i, I I'm guessing at that part, and I you know, it could be whatever the songs were, they would have a lot of discussions with uh, the musical arranger and uh uh but but that was the music arranger's area more than you know w- when you think of what what you copyright in a song for example you copyright w- the words you copyright the melody line and that kind of is it uh because you can't copyright a title generally speaking there's, there are a couple of exceptions uh you can't copyright an idea uh but you can copyright the words themselves so so, you know that's why you can write a song called "I Love you" right. because you can't copyright an idea and you can't copyright a song title so but there's yeah. but understand that you'll be in competition at the copyright office with thousands of other songs called "I love you," so uh you know you have to come up with something original,
2: yeah, so Robbie, um you know, we spent a lot of time talking about uh your father and your uncle. why don't you uh let let our listeners know on what you are actually working on, um, your, your plays and, uh, your theatrical, uh, okay. endeavors and things like that.
0: Yeah. So, um, thank you very much. Uh, so, uh, I'm speaking to today, uh, from Copenhagen, as you know, I'm meeting, uh, with my, with the producer of uh, a movie project that we're working on called uh, Incus the Ram for Incus, which is actually a Sherman Brothers project that I've had uh, been working on with with the Sherman Brothers uh, since nineteen ninety eight, nineteen ninety seven, ninety eight. So it's twenty five years. It's been a while. Uh, I was a young young man when when uh, we started on that thing, but even but it goes much further back. It literally was the first story the Sherman Brothers ever wrote a musical for it, it's about a flying dinosaur named incus who's a ramp incus, which is a cousin of the pterodactyl and when one of his wings goes up the other goes down which causes him to zigzag through the sky it was made into a children's record back in the 1950s um and we're doing a feature film animation project with it now um i worked on it pretty tirelessly for 15 years actually um and uh, other things as well but uh this new producer Niels Jewell, uh got involved in in the project and uh and you know and and has been and he's a uh, pretty impressive resume he he's found the financing, put together the deal for uh for uh about four different Martin Scorsese films, including this new one with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. So we're not talking a small time uh, operations, pretty big and uh. And so that's what we're working on right now. And we're uh, piecing that together. Um, My own, and and I'm a co-writer of the script on that and the novelization on that. Um, And uh, what else am I doing? Uh, So then the project that's that's very close to my heart is a a show that I wrote called Lovebirds, which uh, was at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in 19, I'm sorry, not 19, uh, uh, 2015. And uh, and now we're looking to bring that to the West End stage eventually, probably f- by way of a developmental theater in the UK. Um, and so that's in the works. Uh, we're we're planning a very uh, big showcase for that to show that to the developmental theaters, and and hopefully that will be. Uh, it, there is a, a scene, we did this up in the Edinburgh Fringe. I don't know if your listeners are familiar with Edinburgh and the Fringe festival scene, but Basically, it's uh, Edinburgh is the biggest fringe festival in the world. There were literally, in a period of one month, 3,000 different shows going. Our our show played the entire time of the fringe. Um, It was the one-hour version of it, though. I had to expand the script. Uh, It took me several years to do it. It's very much a show about love and acceptance. Basically, the plot line follows um, parrots and penguins singing in a vaudeville show. Uh, there's a lot of homages to the Sherman Brothers work, including including a song called Tin Panorama, which I don't know how if you know there was Walt after Mary Poppins uh, won all the awards and was doing so well, Walt actually made a, uh, gave my father and uncle a present, and that was to do an album that they wanted to do that was kind of their their whimsy, as it were. And it was called, and my dad came up with this wonderful name for the album called Tin Panorama because the Tin Pan Alley songwriters and there and that album was an homage to my grandfather's songs and the songs that my grandfather wrote 50 years earlier so here it was 50 years later this is 1965 they wrote the Tin Panorama but there was no song called Tin Panorama so one of the songs in my show is called Tin Panorama because like I said before can't copyright a title so yeah uh, so I thought <laughs> it's such a great name and yeah. it takes yeah. place in this vaudeville you know barbershop quartet uh i might tell you that there's uh four penguins who uh are in my show who started off their life as waiters in the country cafe and decided (laughs) to become a barbershop quartet band a few years later show up 1923 show up and and they want to be in vaudeville and uh Um, and they're asked the question it says oh you're you're not those same penguins are you and and, uh, it says ah same nanny different penguins that would copyright that would constitute copyright infringement ah yes Yes. copyright infringement (laughs) no no copyright infringement on our part um different different penguins different penguins so uh so anyways, but they think barbershop so you know what what's more fun than barber than penguin singing barbershop quartet i i ask you.
1: when is this coming to broadway is my question uh, <laughs> uh,
0: yes exactly <laughs> well i mean hopefully so the idea would be maybe in a couple of years if we're, if the stars are aligned in the near future it would come to the london stage mm-hmm. but that'll take a couple of years and then and then uh even in the best case scenario and then uh and because there's a massive backlog since uh since, uh, yeah. But, but if you want to hear the, but by the way, there are a couple um, back to will I'll, before we're done, I'll send you a link to yeah. the uh, thing on, on, uh, on, uh this because Please it's uh, yeah. On the zoom, because it's uh, I'd love for you, for you to hear a couple of the songs. Uh, we did a promotional thing. We got millions and millions of views on uh, our song, the dream, the, the song I wrote called the dream I never dreamed which is all about one of the penguins, uh, sings this to uh, the parrot who, you know, you know, lottie da gets into a, a little bit of a romance uh, thing. And, and that's kind of a no-no. And that's, it's, the show is all about acceptance. And so the dream I never dreamed is a lovely song, if I do say so. And, and we have uh, one of the, we have a, the boy singing it is from a boy band. Um, um, and uh, the, the, the girl who sings it is, uh, is uh, an up and coming, West End, meaning the London—that's the the Broadway of London, right? But we got millions and millions of views. I mean, uh, I think I think um, all of the songs because we did this promotion campaign got something like forty-five million views in total. Um, And then there's a song I wrote uh, called "It's Your Birthday," which is a fun, really fun sort of manic birthday song. There's a character named uh, There's a character named uh, Balthazar. That's the one I the parrot (laughs) the puppet and he's got an italian accent i won't <laughs> do the accent for you right now and he uh and uh although i do it when i'm writing and uh and he's and and he is an opera a former opera singer sort of on the slide now he's singing in this sort of cd um uh, uh you know vaudeville show that's uh you know um all good fun all g-rated but uh but he's uh and he's and he's and, and in the end he ends up in uh in uh, rooster matches and, and things like that. And he's he's on his way downhill because he has a, a certain problem with uh as many parrots do, and it's a real problem. It is, he has an addiction for crackers. And uh-huh. uh, a, so he has a song called Crunchy Crackers, and uh I'll sing a little bit of it for yeah. you right now, yes, even though I don't have a so. to accompany me. Uh and I want you to under. You have to appreciate how hard it is to sing this song because it's what they call in the business a patter song. Patter songs uh, probably were invented by Gilbert and Sullivan. You know, the I am the very model of a modern major general. Uh, oh. My Uncle wrote supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Yeah. That's a patter song. Um, it's just a and it just yeah. keeps on. They're hard to write, and um, and anyway, so he he's confessing his addiction, and he sings first time that I ate one, I knew I had a problem. Now when I see crunchy crackers with the Italian accent, all I want to do is gobble them. Uh, I'm sort of... Notice I'm breathing now.
1: Yeah.
0: Wacky for my crunchy crackers. Wispy, crispy, crunchy crackers. Sappy for the soda snacker. Snappy, crispy, crunchy crackers. Breakfast, brunch or lunch or dinner. Every wafer is... Notice just, that's the first time I breathe. Yeah is a winner how i crave that savory flavor salty toasty taste i savor every cracker as i chew it makes me wonder how they do it i get so suspicious of course they're so delicious how i love my crunchy crackers crackers are a gift from heaven give me one you might as well give me 11 i love crackers there's no question all he wants is crunchy cracker anyways it goes on <laughs>
1: that's amazing, uh, that's amazing. Uh, they,
0: they end up carrying that's him away awesome. in a straitjacket and uh, yeah (laughs) as one does it's a very serious play it's a very serious play about very serious issues
4: that was a great song i could definitely hear that song playing in a uh you know a disney attraction as i'm (laughs) going through something that's very i liked it that was great it's gonna be like it, it's catchy to where it, it, I want you it. to sing it again because I want to learn the words. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I'm gonna send you. I'm gonna send you professional singers with an orchestra and the whole thing, uh, singing this stuff. So uh, that's awesome. So um, yeah, just give me. Thank you. Move. Thank you so much. Oh, pleasure. No, it's, listen, I want to get the word out, and uh, it,
2: it should oh, yes. it should be a ride uh, involving Iago. You know how much he hated the crackers in <laughs> yes. Atlanta. Well, and, and
0: he and he also sang uh, "It's a Small World," if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I forget.
1: Yes,
0: well, or Tiki Room was a tiki, oh, tiki, tiki Room. Tiki Room, Tiki Room. When he took tiki, over. Oh, it's, yeah, uh, yeah uh, uh,
1: management.
0: management, yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, because it was, uh, yeah. I'm thinking old Tiki Room um, stuff. Yeah. Sorry, I'm old school. I'm thinking of, uh, um, uh, Hair Schmidt has no hair. That guy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's I, awesome. Yeah. Well, we'll Robbie, we want to thank you so much for coming on today.
3: Since such totally a pleasure, my pleasure talking to you. It was excellent. It was awesome. I want Anything to get Robbie. I... go ahead. What's that? Ahead. Oh no, I I, I was just think? said I'd love to get Robbie back on here again. Sometime oh yeah. We could yes, do a podcast on you know when we were talking in the in the beginning about just kind of the philosophy of some of these things of of songwriting and yeah boy that was that was just so interesting. So we could man, we could do and nothing. you know maybe we we'll have a little bit surface. more
4: on uh have a little bit more on the show that that's coming that you're working on. Yeah.
2: So,
0: absolutely. No, that yeah. would be great. Uh, anytime. Uh, just let me know. It doesn't need to be months in advance. You know, it's, it's uh, yeah. you know, if I've got a Sunday afternoon um, that generally works, you know, yeah. so thank you for waking up early to do it. Um, I do appreciate it. Yeah. Not, so Not early too bad. Now. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 what time was it for you, by the way? Let's see. We, we're doing was, we started
1: day. at like noon here. Yeah, so oh, that's there, right. Right. You're, you're
0: yeah. East coast. I keep on forgetting. Yeah. You guys. Uh-huh.
1: So, it wasn't too
0: bad
1: yeah
0: at yeah. all <laughs> well cool that's great that's amazing all right. well thank
1: anyway. you thank you thank you so much for coming Pleasure. on ravi uh, it's been thank so great me. talking to you we're going to make sure to plug all your things down in the show notes in the comments so anyone that wants to listen or look um can go down there um and of course as always we want to thank all of you for tuning into another episode of sharing the magic as always, please hit that follow button to stay up to date on the latest episodes and tell your friends to tune in wherever they listen to awesome podcasts like this one. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Sharing the Magic Pod. And until next time, keep sharing the magic. The first
3: time that I ate one, I knew I had a problem. Now when I see crunchy crackers. All I want to do is gobble them. I'm sort of Wacky he my crunchy crackers, wispy, crispy, crunchy crackers, sappy for the soda snackers, snappy, crispy, crunchy crackers, breakfast, brunch, or lunch, or dinner. Every wafer needs a beer. How I crave the savoury flavour Salty, toasty taste I savour Every cracker, as I chew it Makes me wonder how they do it I get so suspicious Cause they're so delicious How I love my crunchy crackers (laughs) Crackers are a gift from heaven Give me one, you might as well give me eleven I love crackers, there's no question Bolly wants his crunchy cracker There's no parrot, who could bear